This morning's scripture reading comes from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Please follow along in your own Bibles or as the text is presented on the screens above. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, pardon me, and and the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in close relationship with the Father, has made him known. The word of the Lord. Well, the theory is that John was an old man when he wrote that. And he was uh, reflecting back on early events in his life. He was probably a teenager when he experienced Jesus Christ in person, an eyewitness of the things that he writes about. And he doesn't want to just tell us the facts the way it will. Tonight uh, at our services, we're going to read from the Luke story, but Luke and Matthew tell us the Christmas story. And John has probably, uh, he understands that those things have already been written by Luke and in Matthew, but he doesn't want to repeat them, so he, he doesn't focus on the facts of the story as much as the meaning of the story of God, uh, this God who was eternal outside of time, never alone, uh, got one God and three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This God made himself into something that he was not. He made himself into a human being. And uh, he made himself small. He made himself vulnerable. He made himself killable. Uh, How could God do such a thing? So John helps us to kind of marvel at that great truth. So uh, John uh, holds back the name, I've mentioned this before, of who this person is. He's talked about him in kind of his vague sense of the word that was God, with God. And now in verse 17, he gives us the name, the name of Jesus. And then he gives us the title, Jesus Christ. Christ is his title. And Christ is the Greek 
word for Messiah, the Hebrew word, meaning the anointed one from God. So that's, that's pretty cool, right? And then verse 18, he goes way beyond that. There was no expectation in the Hebrew mindset of the Old, the Old Testament writers, there was no expectation that this Messiah person, this one who is anointed by God, would actually be God himself. So Messiah is one thing, but God himself, the one and only Son of God coming into our world, this is where, this is the deepest place. So John is trying to, you know, what do I say? These are, these are big thoughts, big words, too big for words is our uh, title of our series. And he, you know, he's doing his best. And when he gets to the end of his gospel, his final sentence, if you look, if you read back to, or over to chapter 21, it'll say this, something like this, that there are so many other things I could say about Jesus Christ. But the world, he uses some hyperbole here. It's okay. He says the world could not contain all the books that would be written about him. So um, we're in this, yeah, too big for words thing. And what I want to do today is go back to the word glory. Uh, from last week, Sharon brought this word up, and she just kind of touched on it. And it, it, you know, it's the only word here that really helps us, I think, make a little bit more sense out of the whole story the glory that is revealed in Jesus Christ. So I want to ask three questions of uh, the text, and here they are. What is glory? Why do we want it so much? And I'm implying there that you do, and I'll try to make that case. And why is it so hard to see, at least sometimes so hard to see? So um, what is it? Uh, here's the biblical answer to the word itself, a little word study, is uh, doxa. We would say doxology, meaning uh, words about this glory thing. And that's the Greek. And the Hebrew word is kavod, and the word kavod means heavy. So if you were from the 60s uh, and a hippie, you'd say, that's really heavy. You'd, you could use that. As a reference, yeah, okay. But it also means luminous or glowing. And uh, it also means so heavy, important, famous, and beautiful in essence. All of that stuff means glory. And uh, you can see why uh, human beings might want some of that stuff. And we have a long history of, of looking for that stuff. Now here's a question for you. Is God glorious? What do you think? Yeah, that's the right answer, right? Yeah, sure. He is glorious. But how do you know that? Because in verse verse 18 it says, no one has ever seen God. So if you can't see him, how do you know he's glorious? Well, it says that that Jesus Christ has made him known. And uh, so here we go on on some other uh, witnesses to this. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. Isn't that beautiful? I love that line from Hebrews. The radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. That's what Jesus himself says in John 14, 9. But that raises another question, uh, and that is, how do we, uh, living in the 20th now, uh, we don't get to see Jesus in person the way John did, so how does it work? 
if we see Jesus, we see the Father, but how do we see Jesus? And this is, it's, it's, not, it's obvious, but it's not obvious. It's that when you hear these stories that John writes and the other gospel writers write, the Holy Spirit, this is God himself, does something in your heart so you can actually see him. I hope you can see him. It's a hearing about it that translates into a seeing in your heart. That's a spiritual activity that God wants to do in each and every one of you. And when you look in the manger, you don't just see a cute little baby. That's not what they said that night when they saw the baby. That's when they, you know, we celebrate that. They did, oh, how cute. <laughs> they worshipped him. They worshipped him. And you don't worship anybody but God in the Bible. That just never happens. When people try to worship angels or people, it's like, whoa, we don't go there. But they worship this little baby. So we, it's by the, the Holy Spirit that we believe. There's a conviction of the heart that, that makes Jesus uh, visible to us, literally visible, or spiritually visible. And then we see the Father, and we see... That, that's how it works. Okay, so th- there's, there's glory. Um, what is it? And why do we need it? Moses, um, we, we, he's mentioned here in uh, verse 17, Moses had his ups and downs, you know, walking around those desert, the desert for 40 years with a bunch of people who were worse than your kids on their worst day sometimes, and it was not easy. But he had a highlight. He had a, a mountain moment when he was on Mount Sinai, and he was just in this relationship thing with God in a way. The scripture says that he was face to face with God as one friend speaks to another. That's how he was with God which isn't exactly true, if I can say it that way, because a few verses later, it says no one can see God and live. So it wasn't exactly face-to-face the way we are, but the point of that verse is that he spoke directly to God, God spoke directly to him. Well, Moses pushes that further. He gets a little spiritually greedy. You know, God is kind of, I think he's okay with that when we get spiritually greedy. And Moses says, I want to see your glory. Show me your glory. And that's where we get that verse. No one can see God's glory and live. No one can see God and live. It's too much for us. It's too much for our senses, our five senses. Remember, God is infinite. We are finite. And it's just not going to work. We're going to blow a fuse. So what happens? Now, how many of you remember four months ago, August 21st, what happened? I I heard it, I think. There was an eclipse, and uh, this will help us to uh, illustrate what Moses might have been up against here. So what is the thing with an eclipse? What's the warning that comes with it? Yeah, you don't want to look at it. You don't look, yeah, if you look at it for very long, you're going to pay the price, and, and uh, your eyesight will be affected. So I'm gonna, it's okay to look at these pictures, by the way, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> you don't have to put the glasses on or look in the little box. But I have, um, so that was, from, that was from August 21st, and um, there's one there. Now, do you, do you get a sense of glory here, a little bit of, of glory? Remember what glory is luminous, it's important, you feel this, the, the, the essence, the beauty of it. 
How about that one? Yeah, it was heavily filtered, I suppose, but uh, that's what you're not supposed to look at. So I'll go fast. So you don't look, yeah, nobody look too long. Yep. Um, and then this one's kind of curious to me that someone did that one. And, but uh, there's glory there. So I had a friend from my college friend who uh, I've kept in touch with over the years, and Patty and I were at his house uh, a few days after that, and he had gone down to he he drove down to Oregon, you know, and spent two days camping out. Maybe some of you did, and um, that place wherever it was. Uh, I played golf that day. <laughs> yeah, I don't whatever. It wasn't very glorious, I'll tell you that. Um, but he went down there, and uh, so we were we we connect every so often, and I, we went over at Bainbridge Island, went over and visited with him, and. Um, in high school, in, in, well, we knew each other in high school, but we weren't really friends. And then in college, we became roommates, and we became really close friends. But he was on, it, this is at University of Washington, he was on the lower campus, more or less, and I was on the upper campus, which means um, I was in the humanities, and he was in the sciences. And we had this relationship that kind of played off of that. So his, his uh, actually, he, he was a he double major, so he spent a little time on the upper campus. He was a Russian major, but his, his main focus was uh, uh, biochemistry, which I, I didn't even want to think about biochemistry. I mean, that was... And then he went from there to get his Ph.D. at the University of Wisconsin, and he got a, a Ph.D. in microbiology. And while he was at it, just for fun, he got a master's degree in computer science. <laughs> And then he, he couldn't figure out, he's like, what's my calling? He didn't use that word, but like, what am I supposed to be doing? And, and he wasn't satisfied, and he loved school, so he went to Berkeley Law School. <laughs> and now he practices patent law. And he, it all converges. He tells me he's actually had places, you know, he's talked about science with Russians and computer. I don't know, it all works together somehow. But we had this um, relationship, and he was kind of more open to God than I was back in college. And I was more atheistic, and he was more open. And then after college, I became a... a, I'm a Christian, did you know that? And and then he couldn't go there. I I tell you all that as backdrop to what he was saying about his experience in Oregon, watching the eclipse. He was amazed. I don't know if he used the word glory, but he could not stop talking about it. Those two minutes where... What a total, what was it called? Total? Totality, whatever, yeah. He, he just said, in those two, and it was like a shared communal experience with everyone there, thousands of people in that, in that campground, and it was transcendent of his everyday, it, it just made his everyday life seem unimportant. And, and it's in that, that hunger for that. We, don't we all have that? That, that we're, we're uh, wanting more. And so Moses uh, had it all. It seemed like he had a good life. He had a, he had a, a wife. As far as we know, they had a good marriage. And he had kids. And he was a leader of this nation with all kinds of promises to the future. And he had it all. But he makes that request, show me your glory. He, he wanted more. And it's, I, it's just part of the kind of our human thing. We want 
more. And to illustrate the other side of it, this is a a quote from the novelist uh, John Cheever, uh, who is no longer with us. Uh, The main emotion of the average adult American who has had all the advantages of wealth, education, and culture is disappointment. Don't you think we live in a place where we've had all the advantages of wealth, education, and culture? I mean, I don't know. That verse haunts me. And um, I don't know if you, I mean, I think he's right. It's not just like somebody having a bad day. <laughs> uh, he's, he's right. Do you remember February 2nd, 2014? Groundhog Day, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, it didn't happen over every over the year, every, you know. That was the year the Seahawks won the Super Bowl. <laughs> How quickly we forget. But the, remember, those of you who are fans at least, I know some of you don't care or you root for another team, but maybe your team won a Super Bowl. And remember how you felt that day and you woke up the next morning. And it just, you have, there's a glow. There was a luminosity. There was a fame. There was a beauty that, was, that went with that. And then there was last Sunday. Okay, well, <laughs> the point being that the things that we experience as glory in this life tend to not last. And it, it's called, uh, the Bible calls it uh, making the things that aren't ultimate, ultimate, and it's called idolatry. Ultimate, I mean, that's what it is. It's the biblical word for it. And then the result of idolatry is always going to be disappointment. But it's okay. Go root for your team. I'm not trying to tell you not to. But uh, that's how it works. Now, here's the, here's the cool thing about God when he reveals his glory. Is that, have you noticed that when we reveal glory in our lives or when it gets revealed to us by whoever, there's always a PR side to it and uh, uh, commercialism that goes with it. Commercial, I forgot who said it, but commercialism degrades everything it touches. Kitschy. Another word. It just gets, you know, it doesn't seem real. It doesn't give you the, that reverberation of heart, good thing that you see when you look into the manger and all you see is a baby. Glory? And there's glory there. And the glory is accentuated by these shepherds and angels. I mean, it's just, but it's just simple. It's not contrived. Augustine, when he got to the, uh, Augustine was in the fourth century, uh, as a young man, he looked in all the wrong places for love. And here's what he said in his confessions when he found God. He says, late have I loved you, beauty so ancient and so new, late have I loved you. He's talking about God, the glory of God. It does not disappoint. Okay. Why is it so hard to see glory sometimes, at least sometimes? And I'm going I'm to just walk you through John's gospel really quickly, and we'll close. It's easy to see it, I think, or easier to see it sometimes. In the next chapter of John's gospel, chapter 2, Jesus does this amazing thing at a wedding in Cana, where there's... 120 gallons of stale water and he turns it into new wine. And if you were there, you might be tempted to shout, 
glory. Shout. You know. Or sing that song, you know. Glory. Yeah, okay. You get excited. Anyway. Some of you, when you get excited, you do smile or something, you know? I mean, you, yeah. And then you get into chapter 5 of John's Gospel, and there's a man there who's been sitting at a, a well uh, or a, a pool in Jerusalem for 38 years. He's an invalid, and Jesus uh, tells him to get up. And he gets up, and he's healed. The Word, the power of the Word in Jesus. And if we were there and we saw it, if we had it on video and I showed it, you would all say, yeah, we're getting the hang of this. <laughs> and then in chapter 6, Jesus um, feeds a bunch of people, 5,000 people. They're hungry. They've been out there listening to him. And if we had seen that, what would we say? Glory. Yeah. And chapter 9, he heals a blind man who's been blind from birth. And everybody knows that he's been blind from birth. And Jesus makes this little thing out of mud and puts it on his eyes. And if you were there and you saw it, what would you say? Yeah. And in chapter 11, his friend Lazarus has died. He's been dead three days. And it's an amazing story. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I won't go into all the details, but if you saw that, what would you say? Glory. Okay. Then you get to chapter 12, and John, it, John is really in two, two big sections, chapters 1 through 11 and then 12 through 21. And so we, we, there's a switch here, and I, you know, so I just follow with me. And Jesus says in chapter 12 that his hour, he's in Jerusalem now, and it's the last week of his life, and he says that the hour has now come for him to be glorified. And you think, okay, I mean, if we're just kind of tracking here, I mean, look at, all the, look at all the cool stuff we've seen along the way, and now we're going to really see something cool, right? I mean, big, 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 and illuminated, whatever. And then you get to chapter 13, and he's washing his flaky disciples' feet. These are the guys that are going to betray him. One of them betray him, and the rest are going to run away, and the leader of the bunch is going to deny Jesus three times, and Jesus is washing their feet. Now, what kind of glory is that? It's a different kind. That's why I'm saying it's, going to, it's kind of tough to assume here what glory is. And then you get to chapter 18, and he's arrested. When I was in high school, senior in high school, I got arrested. It's not glorious. When my parents found out, it was not glorious, right? And then in verse 19, or chapter 19, uh, Jesus is, you know, he's under the control of the Romans and he's uh, scourged or whipped you know, with a whip that is leather and has glass shards in it on his back. We don't know how, I mean, it was just a mess. Is that glorious? And uh, then the, the kind of, the, I don't know, to me, that, that always gets me is that, I don't, know, I, I don't know, it's just making him up to look like a king with the crown of thorns and the robes, kind of a clown king, people mocking him, making fun of him. I mean, isn't that the opposite of glory? Anyone who's ever been bullied, you know what that feels like. That's not glory. I mean, now we're talking, there's no mistake. There, there's no, there can't be any glory in that. 
And then the ultimate nails through the hands on the cross, looking at him. And Isaiah has this line that, it, as he is describing this from before it happens, but he says that people look upon him and they turn away. Remember how you couldn't look at glory when I had the sun up there? Because it would hurt your eyes. Well, this is like it hurts your eyes, but it's not because it's so glorious or beautiful. It's because it's so ugly. Turn away. Don't look. Cringe. So where's the glory? Well, it's amazing in all of that. John is able to, and others, stand back and find a glory. And the glory is that this one who is crucified on the cross, and artists have, I mean, how many crucifixions have artists produced? And words have been written about what was happening there. And they do see a glory in the cross. And the glory is that the one who was essentially in a love relationship forever made himself small. Not only did he make himself small, he made himself killable. He did it from love to love us so that we would know that we are loved. It's just this amazing thing about God, and there's glory in that. And when you gaze upon the glory of the Lord in the crucified one, just gaze upon it. It will change you. It has that effect upon you. It will change you. Let's pray. Lord, as we consider this day and the, the, what's there in that manger, and as we look upon it, gaze upon it, May we never sell ourselves short and say, oh, how cute. May our eyes be open, our hearts be open to see the glory that is there and the love that is expressed and that life that grew into the crucified man for us to see the glory in that. Lord, may we never be changed. What we will be doing a thousand years from now will be contemplating, seeing that glory. May we never become complacent to it. We thank you for your glory. We need your glory to have life. In Christ's name, amen.